welcome to the inaugural episode of Made in Asia. Uh, the Made in Asia show is one of four monthly shows we're currently producing. We have a Made in Europe, a Made in America, a Made in Mexico, and this show Made in Asia. And the intent is to get people from specific regions to talk about how that region is seeing the changes that are going on in the world of manufacturing. Um, today's guests are Arthur Tan from IMI, Carl Hung from SG Wireless and Season Group, and Case Engelen from Titoma. You'll know these people because they've been on various panels, panels before, so I'm not going to waste any time introducing them. I want to get straight into some of the topics, and one of the big topics that we're hearing about is the shift in manufacturing geographies and the reduction of a dependence on China and the idea of this China plus one strategy. Now, you're all involved in manufacturing in China, but also in the rest of, uh, in the rest of Asia. So tell me what that looks like, what customers are asking for, what the drive is there and how quickly or slowly that shift's happening. Arthur, perhaps we can, um, you're down in Manila, perhaps we can we can start with you and you can maybe talk about China plus one or even China plus the Philippines or whatever it looks like for you. Yes, thank you, Philip. And, and, and good morning to all the gentlemen that's uh, sharing the stage with me today. Uh, yeah, the, this this China plus one strategy for us, at least for the IMI group, we, we, we embarked on this in 2005. And so this is already quite a ways before and the drive at that time, even though during that period, if you would remember, a significant amount of, of manufacturing was actually getting absorbed by China. And mm. China was just moving into that, 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 uh, that uh, track of integrating a significant amount of supply chain so that they can then produce both export and, 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 and domestic. And then eventually, towards the end of that decade, you saw that China then had a tremendous amount of trade imbalance at that point because there was so much more export that was being done compared to import on the domestic side. And so we've seen this and, and the, the strategy at that point, which is actually still playing out today, was that our view of the world was inevitably, it was a regionalized manufacturing footprint that was going to take shape. Uh, primarily because of the incentives that was being provided by each of the governments. And incentives, as you know, is tax-based. Hmm. And so it'll be hard to justify in, 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 inevitably for a government to subsidize companies that are actually benefiting outside of their constituency. And so that was the track that we were looking at, you know, over two decades ago. And, 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 and have followed that strategy. And that's the reason why we are embedded in Eastern Europe, in Western Europe, in, 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 in the US, in Japan, Mexico, China. And, and our China plus one strategy, as you mentioned, is we're probably off canter of everybody else because our China plus one strategy, our plus one is actually the Philippines. Which is very, very, you know, which is not, I, I don't even know if that's in the radar screen for most people because we can see where the large top five in our sphere and our peer group that are actually expanding with their China plus one strategy of late. 
has been Vietnam or, or, or Indonesia, Indonesia having its challenges right now, but Vietnam seems to be the flavor of the day. Mm. So, so that, that's where we see, and, 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 and rightly so, because of trade issues, primarily that's driving that decision, rather than uh, actually, I would believe that uh, a, 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 uh, a clear indication of a globalized supply chain and optimizing that supply chain, it's actually tainted by this trade issue that's making these decisions for where parts are coming from and how you're going to label the parts for percentage of supply chain where it comes from. Yeah, so when you look at it from, from your point of view, Arthur, it's something that you've had on your on your uh, strategy for some time. It's something you've been doing as a business. It's something you've been doing with your customers. Has the, the trade war and the subsequent pandemic been an accelerant to that process? Has it made people think a lot more, a, a lot harder about it and feel there's some urgency in that process? Or is it just drifting on at the same speed? No, no, no. It's actually accelerated it. Uh, and, and for good measure, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not to politicize it, but there's, there's merits on both sides, right? Mm. And so yeah. I, I, I clearly see that there, it needs a certain resuscitation of the, 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 the rules of engagement that's actually defined, you know, 20 years ago, mm. when the whole growth of the different levels of economy, both on emerging and industrialized, we're actually finding its way. So we're now at the second trough or, or a yeah. second wave. Second wave, yeah. yeah. Right? And so then yeah. we need to readjust less like everything else. And I think that's that's promulgated by what these trade issues are are happening right yeah. now. Yeah. And Carl, the season group is, is, uh, has grown its global footprint. And you talk a lot about having this um, global team that comes together with, with one, one focus. China plus one must be must be part of that, but as um, Art says, this this whole idea of a much more regionalized supply chain makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Well, it does, and actually, I'm, I'm very very uh, proud to be on the same panel as Art today because a lot of our strategy is following in IMI's footsteps uh, and stuff. Because we've been interacting um, as competitors for a long time, and we've always modeled ourselves after uh, IMI's growth. Uh, because overall wise from a, a lot of Hong Kong and China based companies, they've never really ventured outside of China itself. Uh, it was only after the US imposed the tariffs that they've all sorted uh, to expand into the rest of Asia, into the likes of Vietnam or Penang, Malaysia uh, right now. Um, so it, we were a bit earlier than our other uh, competitors in this region, uh, having set up Penang for almost 14 years now, uh, and then most recently in Mexico as well, too. Uh, but one of the key things that we've seen, it's numbers. Uh, the numbers just don't really add up where you've got a population of 1.4 billion people in China. You can't really move production to the likes of a Malaysia or Indonesia or Vietnam. And that's settled because you add those three country, countries up, plus Philippines, you're talking maybe 500 million people only. You're, yeah. You still don't have enough workforce to supply to the rest of the world. So that's why for us, we, we feel China plus one is very central uh, because just the logistics behind it, uh, you can't move all of the supply chain out. Uh, mm. PCBs, LCDs, batteries, 
it'll still be in China. Yeah. Um, so for our play, uh, it is a regionalized approach, but we still need China to be a central part of it because that's where the supply chain is. We get the best yeah. price, the best um, technology out in uh, China, except for ICs, uh, but everything else, China's yeah. got the majority of the supply chain locked up on. Yeah, and it's a curious thing. I, you know, when people ask me about China as it was, I guess, when I first started visiting there 25 years ago and now, and its position as the global um, engine room for manufacturing. I always say that China kicked down the door with low cost labor, but they kept it open with supply chain. And the supply chain in China is just developed to, a, to an incredible level. And I think coming back to what you were saying, Arthur, that's part of the reason Vietnam's flavor of the month or flavor of the year or flavor of the decade almost, because it has got that long border with with China, it does have very good logistics in the supply chain as it goes backwards and back and forth with, with the various different supply chain elements. So you have got to connect that supply chain. Case, when you look at it from your point of view, you're involved with customers when they're bringing new products to market, they want to get them to market quickly, not necessarily super high, super high volumes. Are they asking different questions in terms of manufacturing geography to that that they were asking a year or two years ago? Yeah, well, it's clear that uh, China is not uh, as popular anymore uh, because of various uh, political uh, reasons. And, and yeah, I, I, I understand those. And so uh, quite a few people are asking, well, can we also produce in Vietnam? Because that's where our uh, main R&D center is. And uh, in, in Taiwan, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been uh, too much influenced by, by Carl. Um, <laughs> I myself have been living in... Uh, beautiful Taiwan um, mm -hmm. for, for 25 years and it's always been a really good uh, place to work um, and, and basically a lot of the electronics industry in China was started by Taiwanese firms so that it, it's very integrated as well um, and we have helped some customers move final assembly of some products uh, from China to Taiwan um, but then you still take the, uh, the displays and the housings uh, and some key higher value components uh, from China, because uh, like Carl was saying, the value there is really uh, incomparable uh, to anywhere in the rest of the world. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's going to stay like that for the next five, I'd say 10 years, at least for, for other countries to be able to build up to that level. Um, we have also uh, been looking at other countries around Asia, just uh, because um, we also have a big customer from India, and they were also having some political difficulties with China. And yeah, you can get final assembly and SMT done. Yeah, it, it doesn't really matter that much where um, we, we've studied the prices in different countries and. Penang seems, uh, seems to be a very good uh, option, although recently the handling of the corona is not so good there. And it's interesting that, that China's been handling the corona very well and, and trade with the US is now higher than it's ever been before. So uh, um, the ability to, to handle corona has been quite uh, a factor in, in, in bringing back trade uh, to yeah. Asia in uh, recent uh, months. Uh, yeah. Taiwan especially, of course. 
Yeah, it's been a huge part of it. And it's it's been fascinating to me, sat down here in Australia watching, watching the whole um, pandemic play out and how people have been dealing with it. And it's kind of a little... Um, a little insight into national personality, I think, where you see different countries deal with it. You know, I compare being a being an Englishman living in Australia. I compare the response here and the stats here with the stats in in the UK, and it's just it's just phenomenally different. You know, we uh, we're at a point where if a case, if there's a super spreader event in in the uh, in Victoria, we 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 see video of the of the removalists or whoever it was walking around without masks on because the numbers are so small and they they focus in and then you know in the UK they're celebrating freedom day and they they're hitting 40 50,000 cases a day um, yeah. and they're saying they're going to stop counting cases and they're going to focus on counting hospitalizations so it's very very different just to go back to the um, plus one idea and the different countries in uh, Asia let's just run around the table and give me your kind of top two picks for Asian countries that we should be we, that we should be looking at going forward and why and we'll start with Arthur and obviously the Philippines is going to be <laughs> number one on your list I'm kind of curious as to the why on that, but also what number two might be. Well, yes, of course, I'm biased, and 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 and, and, and this is where the headquarters is. Uh, it's not because of that, and and it's, this is something that has played out where we're celebrating our 41st year of of being in this business, and so therefore we've seen several business cycles as as it went through all over the world, both on a geopolitical issue or a non-geopolitical. And so one of the dynamic, I think what we're seeing now is actually uh, uh, an emphasis that more and more because of this digitization and, and where we're seeing the effect of the pandemic is access to talent is becoming to be much more uh, as what Carl was, uh, was case was saying, sorry, was that uh, being able to find an SMP line anywhere yeah. or being able to produce you know, a double-sided uh, PCB or, or, or supply chain, or, that, that's not an issue anymore. I mean, you can buy equipment, you can, you can put it anywhere, and, and, and definitely it will be able to work and, and develop it up to that 98, 99% uh, yield rate, right? It's now an issue of what do you do to get to that position that you are, you are able to work with customers who may not, who may, may not have the engineering talent to be able to develop a product or a process that would then be tuned to their product. And where would that be? And could you do that remotely or non-remotely? I and mean, what we're finding out, because we're in a manufacturing space, the work from home is, is, is great for any of the indirect labor, <laughs> but, but it, at the end of the day, somebody has to be in that factory. Someone has to be on the line. Touching something. And that engineer has to, at the end of the day, regardless of how 4K video that is, without the touch and feel and the smell hmm. of the machine and the product, that they, they're not going to be as effective, right? So now the challenge is where do we do that? And then I think this is where one of the arguments that I've always had with the Philippines is just the amount of talent that we have here that's undeveloped. 98% literacy rate and, and 98% English speaking, I don't have to translate any of my manuals or instructions 
or my customer can call anybody down to the operator at any time yeah. and talk to them. So, yeah. so it carries that advantage right now. Yeah, it carries a lot of disadvantage itself. Supply chain being one of them and everything else. But what we're finding out is because of technology. You're, and, and if you're able to create an environment where you optimize on those capabilities that you inherently have or do not have, mm -hmm. then you can adjust accordingly. And that's the reason why you can operate in Penang, you can operate in Vietnam, just like you can operate in, in Shenzhen or anywhere, anywhere else, or, or in Serbia, in Nish, where I operate, is because you adjust now the, 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 the right products that will then be built in that particular location and by, supported by which argument. So, so yeah. under those conditions is where I look at, because I've looked at Vietnam, I looked at Thailand, I looked at Indonesia, I looked at Penang. And in fact, I, I've, I've actually tried to buy companies in all those sites. Um, that, that, but, but generally, the China plus one strategy will fall under where your product is optimized mm. for your customer at that time. Because if that particular customer has his major market uh, in an area where there is no FDA with your chosen plus one, that won't work. That yeah. doesn't work. So, so it, there's a lot of, a lot yeah. of variable. Yeah. And, and so no, no true. I would pick. I would trick, pick Vietnam, beautiful country. I'll pick Thailand. I'll pick Taiwan. I love Taiwan. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I could live twenty-five years in Taiwan. I mean, if I could just find the right model of customer yeah. that was willing to go, let me produce in Taiwan, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So being customer-led is absolutely it, isn't it? And and yeah, we'll come back. We'll come back to the talent thing because I actually I think when I look at Asia compared to the rest of the world. That's one of the big value adds that Asia has. There's just a massive amount of talent and it's continuing to, to come through. Carl, what about, what about your two top picks in Asia and also touching on the, the whole talent thing? Because I know recruiting in China now is a challenge. Definitely, yeah. And my number one is definitely still China. Um, I'm here right now uh, for the next three months at least. And I, I'm just amazed at the speed at things, how things operate here in China and the yeah. innovation uh, and the drive of all the people. It's, it's, I've, I've told all my customers, yes, I understand there's the geopolitical tension. Uh, yes, I, I understand you want to move to the likes of uh, Vietnam, Philippines, or, or Thailand or Malaysia or Mexico, but you need to keep some in China. Yeah. It has to be China plus one because China, it's the world's, it's going to be the world's biggest market very soon. The consumption level here in China has shot through the roof right now, uh, where the salary level of my direct labor people, we're talking close to 800 US dollars a month now. This is hmm. take home pay, tax free. They don't have to pay yeah. for rent. It's yeah. disposable income. Yeah. So you can see people right now, direct line workers, factory workers, they're buying cars, they're buying nice cell phones, they're, they're all yeah. weekly. On a weekly week basis, they're buying bubble tea and all that consumption goods because they can afford it now. And it's 1.4 billion people that can all afford it, essentially. Um, so yeah. from our customers, we're telling them, you have to stay in China to sell to the China people. Yeah. It's too big of a market to give up completely. 
and the, the Chinese government, it will make preferences for made in China products for sure. So mm -hmm. big supporter of China manufacturing still. Uh, but in terms of um, a second Asian country as well too, uh, surprising enough, I'm a big supporter of Philippines as well too. Um, I've got a lot of Philippine friends um, and I believe fully in the, the, the talent there as well too. Mm -hmm. The only downside in the investment there, it's more of the, the political side of, of things. Uh, I think once you get that figured out, uh, there's so much talent um, there. Maybe, maybe when Arthur's the president, it'll be simpler. Uh, I'll make Just sure a matter you get all of my time. friends vote. Yes. I'm not, I'm not a boxer. <laughs> <laughs> You're a lover, not a fighter. Is that where you're going? No, but talent, talent's there. I'm a very big, big supporter of there, but there's talent um, as well too in Malaysia as well. It's just, there's a lot of competition uh, in that region now. Uh, you're really fighting talent. for that talent too. So it, it's a tough time to go into any other region right now if you're not already there. Um, so um, yeah, it, it's hard to have that second choice, but where cases that Taiwan's got a great, great place to invest as well too. Um, yeah, but absolutely. It, it's hard for that second choice. Yeah, they're yeah. all good. In case a lot of major, major Taiwanese investment has gone into China and actually made the electronic manufacturing industry in China what it is. Is that a reason that makes Taiwan a, a natural plus one for China? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the relations are very good. Uh, a lot of the, the, the components that they are made in China, but actually uh, are indeed here in Taiwan. So, um, yeah, yeah. for example, for notebooks, uh, all the discussions are done here in Taipei. But then the actual production is in uh, in Suzhou or uh, Kunshan. So, yeah, Taiwan is really uh, still a very big uh, R and D center. Um, mm -hmm. But for uh, talent, uh, it is harder. Uh, it's very hard to get people in, in Shenzhen and Hong Kong. Uh, as far as I hear, salaries are really uh, way up there. It's also harder in Taiwan, even though salaries here are uh, more uh, reasonable. Um, but uh, Taiwanese, somehow, they, they really like to work for, for Acers and Azus and Pegatron. Um, and we have found it harder to find good engineers, especially in firmware. So we started in, uh, a lab in Colombia, in Latin America. Wow. And we have uh, 30 R&D uh, engineers there now. And that is going really well. So um, I, I, I know what uh, Art is saying that, yeah, you, you for every location, you have to make up on a global level the deficiencies so you can pull everything up to a, a good level yeah and up to a up to a consistent standard and that's how that's how you can convince a china that uh, a customer that a china plus one strategy works because you're producing you know the same the same quality throughout i wanted to hit a, um, sorry I, i'm still with carl ahead. that my preference for a new product introduction is still china because there uh, you get everything so close together. Yeah. If you're still in the design stage, if you still have to choose which LCD to pick, which 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 glass to go with it, um, it's really good to have all these alternatives within an hour drive. Mm -hmm. And so, in the development stage, uh, we get it all together, instant, and and then 
later on, uh, if it's necessary for import taxes or so, we can move things to, to Taiwan, but to get a good speed to market, uh, Shenzhen is still king, I think. Yeah. On that point, Case, I wanted to bring up a story where I'm talking to an ex-employee uh, of ours, and he's telling us, your lead times are way out of whack So for, for, uh, for tooling. So we mm. our, our tooling lead times generally eight to 10 weeks or so. And he's telling me in the China market now, you have to be down to a three to four week lead time for mass production tooling. Because wow. nowadays products are changing so fast. And then everyone's talking about the, uh, the Alibaba Taobao days. So you've got the uh, November 11th, you've got the singles day and all that. So they have an idea on February and they need to deliver in March for mass production. And they need some million pieces of this device. So the lead time a concept in China has completely gone to unbelievable um, shrinkage uh, there. So um, th that's why I think agree again on case standpoint to launch new products. It's a great Shenzhen area, Southern yeah. China area is a great place for that. And then you can yeah. move it off to anywhere. Yeah. And you've got it, you've got it all in one place. As, as Kay said, you can probably pick up the phone and get a, get a, um, product conference with just about every one of your suppliers and get them all in the facility with with parts and samples very very quickly yeah. one of the things i wanted to hit on today which i think is really vexing people at the moment is the uh is a supply chain issue and that's the component shortages um i'm curious where you think it's having an impact perhaps on the book to bill ratios and what's actually going on in the market and whether it's kind of um foreshadowing a little bit some some underlying trends um how big a problem it is for you and what you're doing about it with respect to your customers. Carl, you've talked about this idea of design for disruption and kind of designing your way out of corners from time to time. Um, let's start with you. What do you, what do you, how hard is it to get, to get semiconductors at the moment? And how are you helping your customers get over those ridiculous lead times? Well, uh, I always like to answer my Start off my answers with giving a story as well too. But yesterday, I just got uh, got told of a customer who placed a PO to us for Q3 of 2023. Wow. Well, I'm like, this is the longest I've ever heard of. This guy's two years out, and he's placed a PO to us already, which is which is great, which uh, is but nice. it's not sustainable. Uh, I think it's it's a uh, very conservative for sure, trying to get some certainty in the supply chain, but there is no certainty. Because even by placing that PO, it's not as if my suppliers are going to honor that PO uh, at a given time. Uh, they could very easily push it out um, even further later on down the road too. So um, it, it, the, 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 the order book situation is elongating, which is good in that standpoint, mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely not necessarily a good thing. Um, I think people need to get to a sensible uh, solution where it has to be designed for disruption. Uh, if you're looking at a 52-week lead time or a 26-week lead time push-out, that's enough time to redesign your product, more than mm. enough time. For us, yeah. it's 90-day turnaround time. So why don't we redesign the product if you're talking about a 26-week elongation? Because there, there has been such a shortage of investment in R&D around the world. People have been reluctant to upgrade their designs from PTH to SMT, for example. Now is the perfect time to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. especially since you're talking about uh, 0605 or 042s, there's such a big gap in pricing and also availability where why don't we just re-spin the board to just the package changing mm -hmm. it as well too. 
all these things now, it's all up in the air that we can discuss because of the supply chain elongation. So it's, it's worked in our favor in the sense, our design uh, order books have increased considerably because a lot of our customers are saying, now's the perfect time. Um, I can't buy the component anyways, it's 52 weeks out. So let's redesign and build in more options. Let's not yeah. rely on one guy. Let's have three or four guys that we can put into the PCB so that at any given time, uh, you have that flexibility. Yeah, Arthur, is is design often the often the answer, or are you having to leverage a bit of bu buying power? I was talking to a CEO of an EMS in Europe the other day, and he was he was saying that he's having to call the CEOs of distribution companies and and you know leverage personal favors and all kinds of things to, or even get his customers in the in the automotive industry to put pressure on. What are you what are you seeing, and and what are you doing? We're seeing everything. I mean, as what you said, the lead times are out there. And so you're getting orders that are, you know, ridiculously out there. So it's just to make sure that they are able to get into the queue or, and then hopefully they think that since you gave in that huge amount of blanket PO that uh, you're going to drive even more to be able to get their product, you know, which, which is, you know, the thing, like I said, I'm old, I've seen so many of these cycles in my lifetime. And so here's the, here's, here's the food for thought, right? Guy comes up to you and gives you a two-year lead time, a two-year blanket PO yeah. on a product that you know has a product life cycle of 12 months. <laughs> you have a 12-month product life cycle for that design and he's giving you a PO for 24 years, for two years, right? Yeah. Not even knowing that the next model may or may not even use that product, that 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 material, right? And so I, I, there's got to be some rationalization there, and which is what we 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 try to implement when I go look at all of these. Now, the nice thing about at least in in my my side of the fence is that 75% of my business is. 50, over 50% 50 is, is, is automotive and, and another like 25% is, is industrial. Mm -hmm. So, so then, and then it goes down all the way. And I think I have my, my consumer side is less than 5%. And so therefore I'm, I, I, I don't have that 18 month product life cycle problem. So my, my, my cars have to be built over the next 10 years. And so they, they, they're, they're, they're the ones that are driving my book to bill ratios right now. And so with the industrial sector, a building, once it's actually integrated and you want to be able to make it into a smart building, will have to be supported over its life cycle. Yeah. And so that's another 25. And the next one will be medical and so on, right? So clearly, that I, 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 I have that. The one thing that I just want to touch base and maybe my other... My other uh, my other uh, speakers here can help me uh, rationalize. Is this for years in in search for being able to hit the quality level necessary was Deming's principle for single source buying, right? So you develop your partner, you do a single source, and now what we're finding out because of what's happened with this pandemic is that everybody is now jumping through the hoops that if you're a single source and your, 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 your build, your bomb list is designated only to one and you cannot replace because you now have to be able to redesign 
or requalify and not yeah. having the engineers to be able to do it. And so this, this now creates that part of the equation where do you have the engineering network and capability to supplement your customer as you are trying to move away from a single source supply? Yeah. Because that's the next challenge, right? Okay, this is one you designed with, you qualified, you know, and, and re-qualifying it for, you know, federally mandated vehicle safety standards is not a walk in the park. <laughs> and, no. so, and it's not an overnight process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but if you're, yeah. you know, if you're building, you know, a Hallmark greeting card and uh, the, 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 next, the next connector, or the next chip that sings that voice when you open the card is a different chip, then there's no qualification necessary. You just plug and play, yeah. right? Yeah. But we are not in that sphere anymore. The evolution of the complexity of the products have moved to a level where more and more a system is now being built by us rather mm. than a component. And so there, there lies the challenges. I, yeah. I, I guess that's my, that's my view of it. Yeah, no, that makes sense, Arthur. And I think it's the idea that you know engineering and design engineering in particular has become a much bigger part of your business and much more important and much more much more critical. I hear what you're saying on rewriting rules. I think if we roll back kind of two years, inventory was the enemy. Now it's your new best friend. Um, just in just in time was what everybody was screaming, and now they're all screaming just in case. So things change. Old, the market right? is changing rapidly. Hardware now. I'm sorry, Philip, but it's not just hardware. It's to case point. It's firmware. It's not just being able to adjust your hardware because it's firmware because the 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 customer experience of the, 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 the engagement that you now need to be able to redesign a product mm. touches everything all the way up to the customer side, which is the, the GUI, which is the interface, which is the firmware and everything else. So yeah. that, that, that now trickles down into your capability as a company to be able to support down that entire vertical. Yeah, yeah. So case design for disruption, you've got to make it work not just with the hardware, you've got to make it work through the whole ecosystem. How do you see it? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Carl. Um, we're, we're, we're not in automotive, we're more in uh, B2B uh, high reliability products. Uh, and, and yeah, our, our topical runs are uh, like like 5K or so. We're, we're, we're not a giant uh, like those guys. Um, so um, what we do is the design for different uh, possibilities. So we, we, we take two or three different footprints for, for a radio module. So just in 26 weeks from now, uh, we'll see who has the best lead times and then availability and pricing. So building in that uh, design flexibility uh, is at this point uh, really the best option, I think. Yeah. So having a design that's fit for disruption at the beginning, but also being able to be agile and adaptable as we get as we get further further down the line how long do you see this lasting guys it takes a while to stand up a, a semiconductor fab doesn't it i've i spoke to someone last week that told me they'd been advised it was pushing well into 2022 and then i spoke to someone else that said it's going to be 2023 before it stabilizes arthur you're smiling what do you think <laughs> i think they're both correct <laughs> Yes. So a long time. No, well, it's it's going to be short for some and and long for others. And we it's, we're on the semiconductors, and 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 we understand that 
if you then designed your product using the sub nanometer technology, then yeah, you're right. Your answer was correct 2023 to end of 2023 before you can get another line on site. If your designed your product with uh, your product requirement is a technology that is uh, one and a half micron or even a, a, just a sub micron, uh, then, then, then there are significant amount of fabs out there that has that capacity. Uh, and so, so then, then, then you will not be the one that's going to affect that. So again, back to the, the, the premise I have. So which type of technology is your customer pushing for the complexity of your devices? And then the ones that, that maybe everybody else can help me with is how do you manage inventory? When you get the purchase order, you buy all the blocks, and then you find out the last screw is not available. And now you're sitting on all of these inventory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I spoke right. someone again, again <laughs> last week that had a reel rejected that came in because there was a risk of damaged or counterfeit parts on there, and the production line said, "You've taken yeah. a reel out. That's cost us three million in output this week." Um, so you know, small. You know, maybe a hundred dollar reel. $3 million of, of impact. How do you manage that, Carl? Any ideas, any solutions for Arthur? Yeah. I'm, I'm still grasping for solutions too. So Art, if you find this solution, please give me a call. Yeah. Well, we just we just need to keep talking and, and sharing sharing solutions. I just wanted to well, wrap up by asking- Components, um, of course you have the, the, the high-end uh, TSMC components for the latest uh, 5G and the latest mm -hmm. uh, Apple ICs. And that is all gonna come from the, the, the latest uh, five or three uh, nanometer nodes. Um, but I think a lot of the shortages are in the, the more pedestrian, older technologies. And for most countries uh, in Asia, um, it doesn't really make sense to, to invest a lot of money in those kind of fabs because it's, it's sort of dated technology and there's not very high margins. So why are you gonna uh, invest a lot? And, and right now we're probably seeing a big spike in demand, but uh, there's gonna be a glut of investment and three years from now, there's gonna be a lot of uh, capacity. Um, I do think that, that particularly China is so anxious to become self-sufficient uh, in ICs that they're going to subsidize anybody who wants to do anything with ICs, even if it's in, in old-fashioned technologies and all that. So hmm. I think quite a lot of capacity in, in the older technologies is going to come online in, uh, in China. If you see how fast they ramped up uh, mask production. Um, so I, I think that will be uh, a lot of help also for the automotive sector that, that doesn't need the latest, greatest uh, ICs for the more uh, established models. Yeah. But on on so, that front though, uh, the, the shortage isn't just an issue with ICs alone. We're seeing shortages in yeah. everything, uh, capacity be, being bought up in everything. Like I had a customer, he, we had to change designs from three times because three separate battery suppliers said that their capacity has been bought up. It's three mm -hmm. times in one month. So yeah. luckily we had the design capability to do that, but it's, we're seeing that across the board. So uh, from my perspective, I'm on board with the Phil, Phil friend who said 2023, because right now uh, I don't see it's a, a IC and then we're okay. It's 
Yeah. The whole, whole mess around the world needs to settle down. COVID needs to be settled. Borders need to be open. People need to be talking. Leaders from countries need to be talking again to solve this once and for all. We're right now very isolationist right now. And yeah. it's going to create opportunities for speculators. Once we start talking, then we actually have more flow. Yeah. And it, yeah, yeah, on, case. Let, let me just share one view that's kind of counter to, to this and what people are saying. And, and, I, and I'm getting that same feedback from my guys as well. But, but then I throw this food, of thought, food for thought for them to look at it, you know, and when you get like me, I, 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 I get, I, I just, I just stand back and watch the world flow now like your dad <laughs> and, then, and then and then see how they they're swimming in the in the in the wind right so so here's here's a view if we look at the demand cycle that we're seeing right now then all our speculation for the the, the supply side is real and it's true now what got us there what got us there was because the pandemic hit and when the pandemic hit the services industry dropped like unbelievable 70 percent out no travel no restaurants none of these so so now you still have all of the disposable income of the people but none of these expenses so what do they do people are people they need to satisfy that their well-being is still real if I have something new and tangible that I can share with other human beings. And so then everybody jumped into the e-commerce and the goods side. What's the only thing available? Our goods. We produce it and then there's that demand. In fact, the automotive guys called it wrong. When the pandemic hit, they sent out a force majeure to all their supply chain saying this is going to last forever. I'm not going to be hold liable, held liable for, for my orders because my orders are multiple year, as I told you, on the automotive space. And yet what we did find out, not even a year before the pandemic was done, mm. the demand cycle in the developed countries for self-mobility jumped up. Why? Because they needed to buy something. I mean, I got all this cash coming from the stimulus. I got all this money I've never spent on watching a movie or going out into a ballpark, and what do I do with it? Well, why don't we get a new car? So you yeah. see this. Now, the vaccination process is ongoing on a global basis. Eventually, we're now seeing the services starting to come back, right? And in fact, we're seeing that on the stock market where the, 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 the options trading for upsides on all the services back tourism. Is, is off off the charts, right? So if, when that happens, does, my question is, is the disposable income going to multiple twice that it's going to sustain the current demand on the good side while the consumer are spending for the services? Yeah. Yeah, so, I think it's fascinating. I think one demand, of the big areas demand that- Just, demand just a point for thought for, for us yeah. here. Yeah. And I think when you look at particularly if you look, for example, at travel, that's pretty much a big ticket spend for everybody every year. And they haven't done that this year. And a lot of people are either renovating their homes and that often means installing technology or, as you say, they're buying a bigger TV because they're at home more or they're buying 
you know, work from home stuff. And yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, we talk about prediction of this lasting a while, but what we might be predicting is a, is a oversupply in 20, 2024, somewhere around there, which I think is going to be a really interesting dynamic. Just to wrap up, um, quick predictions of what you see happening in Asia in the next five years from each of you. I'm kind of predicting the 2020s as 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 an, an impressive an impressive decade for Asia, not so much for China, but for the rest of Asia. I think it's a huge, huge opportunity, and I think the talent that is available in, in Asia is is there to back that up, and the supply chain is, you know, is is very impressive. Guys, what do you what do you think is going to happen in the in the next four or five years? Just give me one prediction so I can call you back in four or five years and tell you whether you were right or wrong. Carl, take a shot. Oh, this is this is a tough one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, it four or five years from now, definitely China will be number one economy um, without a doubt. Uh, we're we're on that path. It's it's there. Um, I think the cost of living. Uh, Talent, you know, salaries will be on par with the U.S. by then, um, and which will also subsequently mean a lot more opportunities for other countries in Asia to uh, compete and uh, more opportunities for them to become a service provider for the China market. Yeah, and hence yeah. it's the biggest market in the world. Yeah, you know, that's, that's why I'm up here. On that parallel with 1.4 billion people, it's it becomes the most the most amazing market you can imagine. Indeed. Case, what about you? Give me a prediction. I do think uh, that, uh, yeah, the, the China plus one, uh, where the, the, the core of electronics is still going to come out of China. And yeah, the, the, there will be satellites uh, around China coming up and, and continuing to grow. But I, I do think electronics is going to stay in China and Asia for uh, the next five years, 10 years, uh, certainly. Good stuff. And our final word for you, young man. Yeah. yeah. Well, five years, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think China will continue to be a very, very significant, large economy. Will it be the largest? Um, you know, it's a touch and go. Uh, we're, we're seeing that if, if the, the penchant continues, that there's a rationalization on the rules of engagement for how the economies are going to deal with each other, then there's going to be tempered growth. And uh, rightly or wrongly, you know, $40,000 of disposable income. The U.S. is still a $16 trillion economy growing at about a right now unprecedented 5% clip, right? So the demand mm -hmm. cycle is still there. And they're the ones who's willing to pay for not only for goods, but also for services. So yeah. the China part of it on a domestic basis, I agree with Carl. I'm in it. 80, 95% of my total product output from China factories is servicing China. So, 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 so that's going to happen on its own clip and it's going to open. Now, the dark horse there is Asia, as you mentioned, the rest of Asia. And I think we're in a good spot because not only are we able to support the China demand and their requirement to grow outside of China and they can't grow into a developed country. So the only place for them to grow is either Africa, Middle East or Asia. Asia being the, 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 the easiest one for them for because of the, the, the diaspora of the Chinese heritage mm -hmm. that expands into Asia. And then, and then the ability of the different nations within Asia for having that free trade agreement with the developed countries, uh, Europe 
uh, FTAs with the United States and, and, and Japan and everything else. So if I were to pick, like you said, four or five years from now, where will be the sweet spot where a, uh, I don't think that, that this trade issue is going to be fixed in five years, primarily because for us to, for the US to even get to NAFTA was a 15 year process, right? Just to get to NAFTA. And so, so for, for us, for the world to decide, and as you have regime changes, is also gonna complicate and either accelerate or delay that process. So for me, yeah, you're right. To, I, I, I'm happy where I am. I think we're in the middle of this resurgence for Asia as it yeah. handfuls between both largest economies in the world. Yeah, I think you I think you are absolutely in a sweet spot there. Guys, thanks so much for your insight. I want to congratulate you on being excellent guests. And I'm going to pat myself on the back for picking the three of you for the inaugural show. I think I hit a home run there. Guys, look forward to talking to you again soon. In the meantime, thank you so much. Bye.